Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. I'm your host, Dustin Sutton, and today we have the honor of hosting a true luminary in the world of real estate, Mr. Herman Bulls. Herman's impressive career spans over 33 years at JLL, where he founded the highly acclaimed Public Institutions Division. Now, this specialized unit focuses on delivering comprehensive real estate solutions to federal, state, and local governments, nonprofit organizations, and higher education institutions. Herman collaborates with JLL's largest public and corporate clients to devise and implement integrated real estate strategies, ultimately lowering occupancy costs and increasing productivity. But Herman is not just the vice chairman of JLL. He is a multifaceted executive with a wealth of experience in real estate, finance, marketing, and operations. And with extensive Fortune 500 board experience, Herman brings a very unique perspective to the table. Beyond his corporate role, uh, Herman is a respected thought leader and effective communicator. He excels in bringing diverse groups together to tackle even the most challenging issues. And Herman's journey is nothing short of remarkable. As before his uh, illustrious career in real estate, he completed almost 12 years of active duty service with the United States Army, which includes assignments at the Pentagon and West Point. He retired as a colonel in the U.S. Army Reserves in 2008, and his educational background is equally impressive with a BS degree in engineering from the United States Military Academy at West Point, and he also has an MBA in finance from Harvard Business School. And in this episode, we not only talk about his knowledge and experiences in the professional realm, but we talk about his perspective from growing up and how he was raised and from high school, going to, to school at West Point. And what really comes out in this conversation is his passion for people, leadership, and leveraging differences as strengths. And it shines throughout this conversation. So I'm so happy that you're able to join us on this journey as we explore the life and insights from Mr. Herman Bulls. Uh, he is a, a true trailblazer in the world of real estate and leadership. And I feel very fortunate to have this conversation and very happy to call Mr. Herman Bulls my friend. So here he is without any further ado, Mr. Herman Bulls. Mr. Herman Bulls, thank you so much for joining us today. Dustin, it's a pleasure and privilege to be here. I would like to start this conversation with you introducing yourself. Many of our listeners will know who you are, but if you could just give us a bit about who you are and what you do. Well, you know, I sometimes like to start it. I'm a country boy from Alabama. So uh, just going back to uh, being born in a little town. Actually, I was born in Florence, but raised in Sinistar, which is a suburb of Killen, which is a suburb of Florence. So I was really out in the country in the woods. So I'm the youngest of seven. Uh, my uh, Unfortunately, my father was killed in a uh, automobile traffic accident before I was born. And I owe a lot of uh, what I've accomplished to a person, uh, two people, one, my wife, who we'll talk about later, but the other, my mom, because at this point, <clears throat> my dad was killed in this accident in October of 1955, and I was born in February 1956. 
And at the time, my father was actually killed in this accident. My mom was in another part of the county in rural Alabama picking cotton, you know, help support the family. And she was also pregnant with me. So you can imagine, uh, and I lost my wife. I was just going to get that out there now. I lost my wife two and a half years ago, and it was powerfully painful. However, as I thought about my mom's situation, you know, 68 years ago, when she lost her husband, pregnant, six other kids, no education. And uh, I found out later that there was like a $10,000, you know, uh, life insurance policy that that came out of it. But that's, that's, a, uh, that's a lot to, to handle. And the reason I talk about my mom as being a hero, over the next few years, she worked three jobs. She was a cook at a restaurant called Lakeview. She uh, was a domestic, meaning she cleaned houses, uh, primarily, uh, exclusively white people's, uh, wealthy white people's houses in the neighborhood. And she was a um, collection agent for the Atlanta Life Insurance Company. And many of your listeners may know that that's uh, one of the first African-American insurance companies. I can remember vague, uh, vividly uh, being in the car with her as she would go around. And people would pay like a quarter a week. I don't know, you know, the gas you spend to go get it, but she would get all these coins and some mm. and mail them to Atlanta. So during that process, however, Dustin, she went back to school and got her GED. And I remember I was probably second, third grade when she did that. And because I remember because I would go with her to the school down in Florence and the janitor would be there at night and he would open up the gym and I would go in and shoot, shoot basketball hoops while mm-hmm. she had her classes. And then after she finished the GED, she went to John C. Calhoun Community College, commuting round trip about 80 miles a day. She did that three days a week, by the way, while still working full time. Wow. And she became a licensed practical nurse at LPN. And with that, we moved from the farm home that we lived in, in Centerstar. We actually moved to Florence, Alabama, which uh, is in Muscle Shoals area. A lot of people know it for the music. And and there I was a lanky seventh grader, uh, came in, was fortunate to make the basketball team, uh, was a pretty good student. Uh, however, I will admit that I got, we had a course, uh, a, a session called deportment and I would get uh, C's and D's and deportment and deportment was because I talked a lot <laughs> <Okay. laughs> from an academic perspective. And then I went on to the, uh, to the high well, school. Wait, wait, before you go on from that, when you, you were talking a lot, were you being, were, were you messing around or was it, were this, were you just contributing? Just contributing, just a talker. And I'm going to talk later. I'm going to talk about a concept I call connecting versus networking. And you're going to, uh, that talking actually was good for me. And I'll, I'll get to that. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll get to that just uh, later. So then I go to the uh, coffee high school and this is now we're talking 1970. Okay. And this is, you know, desegregation has, has started and the high school I went to was 16% black. Okay. And mm-hmm. I go out there and I said, well, okay, I like sports. I'm going to go out for quarterback. And I went out for quarterback and there I was quarterback on the freshman team, which was a little different in the South because, you know, blacks at that time were not considered to be intelligent enough to play a position that requires thought. And uh, so that occurred, went through the high school career, had a just a phenomenal high school career that um, I'm, uh, you know, thankful for in so many ways. Uh, 
played played four sports. One two years I played track and baseball, and I had the high school record six three and a quarter. I still remember it for the high jump and finished third in the state my senior year. Uh, ended up being the first black starting quarterback on the varsity team, wow. which caused uh, you know some concern. And uh, a, a sportscaster did a review. A, big article on me and coach K we'll get to later coach K from Duke mm-hmm. uh, met him at West Point because I used to do play by play for army basketball when he was the coach there. And when he did this story on me, he went back and talked to my high school coach, uh, buddy Moore, still living uh, retired major general now and asked him, say, Hey, did you get any uh, flack for starting Herman at quarterback? And I'd never even thought about it. And he said, yes, I did. But he went on and did, you know, the right thing. And, and fortunately I was also, and you, 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 you never thought about that. Like even during that time, I really didn't, you know, wow. you think, of, you think of um, athletics as being a meritocracy, which mm-hmm. or when it is right. And I hadn't thought of it in that sense. And he answered the question, honestly, that he was, you know, got some pushback. And fortunately, in addition to the, being the quarterback, I was a boy state guy. And here's the one I'll get back to that other question about me talking. I was also elected as the first black president of the student council. And later in my life, I looked back and said, how have I been this salmon that swam upstream and made it through so many gates? And Dustin, this is where I got back to the point about me getting the Dean deportment for talking. Um, I have a theory that I think it's certainly proven true for me that there is something called networking, which we all do. I give a lot of speeches. Kids line up at the end. Mr. Bowles, I want to network with you. Blah, blah, blah. And, and that's <laughs> good. They should do that. Okay? However, networking within itself is very transactional in nature. You think of networking. What am I doing? I'm going to meet Dustin because Dustin can do something for me. And maybe I can do something for Dustin too, but that makes it a transaction. What I prescribe to in retrospect that I looked at from that junior high school when I got those D's in deportment was connecting. And let me tell you the difference. Connecting is when you will do something with or for someone without regards to what you're going to receive in return. I love that. And when you do that, you do something called connecting with people. When -hmm. you connect with people, you form a relationship. And I'm a very relationship-oriented person, and a lot of the success that I've had has been a result of building those relationships. Yeah, that, I, I love I love that. I never put it in those quite words and differentiated the correct the the connecting versus networking, but I think that's spot on, and I I really appreciate that that mindset. Yeah, you know, be, before Hermit, before before we go any further, first of all, I want to say I, I don't want to go past this. I'm so sorry to hear the loss of your wife. Um, my condolences. Um, you know, these, well, I, these... I certainly appreciate it. Uh, I, I, I don't say it gets better. It certainly gets different. Uh, and you know, we'll get to the point later in my life. I met her, my first assignment in the army after uh, finishing West Point, and um, you know, we were married a, a year and a half later. And um, uh, that she's phenomenal lady, presidential appointee. Uh. Pentagon named uh, a fellowship after her. Uh, Kimberly knows we just, uh, uh, my family just endowed the diversity 
uh, an inclusion conference at West Point uh, named after primarily her and my family. So she yeah. was just a, uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal individual. Yeah. Well, so, so and, and again, um, I just didn't want to look over that point because I, I know in you and relationships and, and how much, you know, family and relationships mean to you. So I, I want to make sure I, I, I got the, that across. But going back to you having all the success in you're like, oh, I was the, I was the first quarterback and playing these sports and playing basketball. You also mentioned that you had you were the youngest of seven. Growing, do you is there anything that you like gained that confidence going forward to be, be to want to try out to be the quarterback or to want that? Was there anything else that you saw besides what your well, your mother's influence was? There was well, there anything well, else that well, you well, saw? When you were the youngest, and you know they're either uh, shucking corn or need a magazine or need somebody to go get the mail. It's always and and my nickname. I'm going to put it out there. Most people know it was Toby. T-O-B-Y, Toby, as like, Toby, go do this, Toby, go do that. So you're, you know, so you were like accustomed to sort of taking orders, uh, mm. so to speak. And uh, I, I just think maybe, and, and by the way, I told you out of these seven kids, and I'll go back to my mom now, six of those seven kids finished college with 11 degrees. Wow. Wow. So the foundation of that from you know, from where we started is just phenomenal. So something was embedded in all of us. Uh, my sisters will sometimes tell me that I remind them of our father. Of course, I don't know uh, anything about that, but there's no doubt that the perseverance that my mom demonstrated, that you don't realize it at the time because it's just what you do, but it's like, you know, when 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 high school came around, you know, some kids deciding, you know, what they're going to do. I mean, for me, it was no, there was no question. You're going to go to college, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and then fortunately for me, with the, you know, we spoke earlier before we start uh, uh, taping, and you talked about the fact that you had looked at the military academies and you just weren't certain at that point. Yeah. Well, I, as you were, I was a perfect candidate for the military academy. And because we're looking at three, three areas, I'm putting my West Point uh, pitch in here now. We're looking for okay. people that certainly from an academic perspective are, are, are up and coming. Uh, we're looking for people from a, a, a physical perspective uh, that have the ability to endure the challenges that are physically there. And then rounding that out, we're looking for the leadership, right? Because we want people who gravitate toward leadership. Now, as leadership evolves or is it something you're born with? Well, we take those people who have demonstrated the ability to be a leader and we put them in situations and particularly that plebe year, we strip all of those accolades. You know, hey, when I was in high school, I was, I had a special parking place as president of student council <laughs> on with all my chevrons on it. I mean, I made the morning announcements every morning. I had a radio show that went throughout the community. I mean, I was the man. And then I show up to West Point plebe year. And guess what? I'm not the man. And no, what, well. about, if what that is all about is showing that to be a great leader, you need to be a, a good follower. And to this day, even in my role at JLL as vice chairman, I tell everybody, including our clients, I was at uh, Morgan Stanley on Monday meeting with them as a client. <laughs> and what I told them is, look, yeah, I, yes, I'm vice chairman, but let's take this. And in reality, the pyramid is turned upside down. 
because mm. people who are here with you doing the work every day, they're the people who are important. And it's my job, believe it or not, to listen to them to see what do they need to help you get done what you need to be done. And I think that part of that, I guess I was born with, but West Point certainly uh, did that. And even going to West Point, making that decision to go, I was a, I was a good athlete. I wasn't great, but I was very good. And I looked on it as a 17 year old with everybody telling you how great you're going to be. Do you know what that does to you on a Thursday night or Wednesday night or Friday night? You lie in bed and you wonder, because these expectations that somebody else can see the dream and see the vision. I'm just a little country boy. I, I didn't see it. I was just doing what I did. And I actually chose West Point because it was hard. I made the decision, I'm going to do the hardest thing, and I'm going to see if I can get that done. You know, a lot of my friends went to you know Alabama, Auburn, and, and my, my next choice, all the academies recruited me, but my next choice was Vanderbilt. And with Vanderbilt, they cobbled together part, partial uh, academic athletic scholarship. And by the way, one other thing that influenced me, and you may, you're too young to remember me, but 1975 was the first year that for college scholarships, you used to sign and you would get a four-year scholarship. And if you went out and played, got hurt, whatever, you got four years. Mm-hmm. But it was getting so expensive, they changed it. You got one-year scholarships that were renewable every year. And from that as well, I said, well, you go to West Point, you know, you got a four-year scholarship, whether you play football or not. And of course, I played two years there. And then, um, you know, partly my abilities uh, ran out on me. And the other part, I concentrated on academics because I determined probably my sophomore year that I wanted to go to Harvard Business School. So I said another Okay. Well, so when you were making that choice to go and you said you there was a couple of different places that you were looking, including Vanderbilt. Was there somebody in that let's uh, call it the call the re- recruiting process that explained to you how hard it was going to be? Did somebody lay that out for you, and you were like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, well, that's one, what I want." One individual who, um, so I, I Homer Smith was the head football coach, and many of your listeners may know he was a graduate of Princeton, uh, coached at UCLA, coached at Alabama, um, and uh, great uh, uh, academic. Uh, guy and what West Point did every week, uh, starting my junior year when they started sending you the uh, uh, recruiting material, they would send something every week about a West Point football player and what they were doing now. Mm. So you had Pete Dawkins, you had other CEOs, you had uh, you know generals, and it was like you know so they they painted a picture of kind of what could be. And the person that uh, uh, helped personally recruit me was got a guy by the name of Gary Still. And many of listeners will know his daughter, who is Sage Still, the uh, former ESPN correspondent. And Gary was the first black letterman to play football at West Point. It was wow. actually drafted. Uh, he graduated in 1968. He was actually drafted by the Detroit Lions, but he went on in the Army and spent a uh, 20 plus year career at the army, but he was back at the academy uh, coaching and he, he calls me Herm. He said, Herm, this is a good opportunity for you. And, and the combination of the fear I told you I had from, uh, you know, maybe disappointing others and more importantly myself and wondering what do I do? I didn't really realize, uh, and I'm not certain I had that much talent, but whatever talent I had, I don't think I really realized it because I told you 
being the student council president, I wasn't one of these uppity student council presidents. Now, I'll tell you one of the, the challenges um, that was there to an extent, and it was particularly back in the 70s, um, some of the black students would call me an Oreo. And you know what an Oreo is? Okay. The idea yes, I do. That you're black on the outside, but you're really white on the inside because you talk to everybody, you know? And, and it, it I, and I'm certain there's some kids out there that have that challenge right now. And I cannot tell you that that didn't impact me. However, I had the perseverance to say, you know what? I'm going to be kind, thoughtful, and connect. I didn't have that vernacular then and connect mm-hmm. with everyone because I can tell you, I could not have been student council president if I had gotten 100% of the black vote, which would have been 16%. Wow, I did the math. When, when, when you when you think about these moments, um, you know, especially in high school, and then your experience in West Point, I want to go on to, to your decision about you know what what your major was and and how how you determine mm-hmm. the next steps in your path. How how often do you think about this? I know you West Point has a major part of, of your heart and, and your mind and what you do. Would you, would you say that that was the launching pad for for you, for your success? Would you would you say that? I don't put words in your mouth, but no, I, no, if, no, I, I understand what you're saying. I think I think maybe the launching pad that gave me the confidence to really go was with a guy named Joe Hollis who uh, led my high school, Coffee High School, to the state championship in 1964. He was the freshman coach. And remember, this is 1970, 69, 70. And he chooses me to be the freshman starting quarterback. Hmm. Okay. Which, you know, it caused a little bit of a ruffle, so to speak. But, you know, that's only freshmen. Those are not the guys that are under Friday night lights with the TV show on Sunday. I mean, this, this stuff in Alabama football is real. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I think, and Dustin, you're asking me that question is really making me think, I think when I was selected the ninth grade year to be, you know, kind of a class favorite, that was okay. Cause I had been popular, but to mm-hmm. be selected as that quarterback, I think I got a little extra oomph for that. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. with hopefully the ego to go with it. And I tell everybody, and particularly for black people and more particularly for black men, there is a fine line between confidence and arrogance. Mm. And I tell people, you want to go up to that line and here's your problem. That line changes depending on the circumstances that you're in. Mm -hmm. Because when you come off as arrogant, people are not going to want to see you to see for a lot of, no matter what your talent is. But when you come off as confident in a concerning person, people want to help you succeed. So even though West Point, there's no doubt, has played a critical role, I think what gave me that spark was back in the ninth grade when, you know, the death chart was put out and Bulls, you're starting at quarterback. And that just is like, wow, okay, I can really do some things, huh? Oh. And then from there, just through high school, it finished. And there's no doubt that I call um, West Point kind of the finishing school for taking this confident uh, guy. And one of the things I'm almost happy about from my athletic skill, I was good, 
but I wasn't good because of natural talent. I was good because I had to really, really, really try hard. And that part transferred, I think, into my professional career. A couple of things that you touched on there. Number uh, first, I want to say you saying that and that somebody giving you the ball or giving you the opportunity or not even giving you being afforded the opportunity to start there, like how much of an impact that you see that that makes in your life. And as I coach and mentor some, you know, younger kids and, you know, my kids in their sports and things like how much that can mean to somebody to actually put that trust in them. And to hear you say that has given me chills because that just motivates me to really start thinking more as far as like positive reinforcement and recognizing talent and effort in people and giving them the opportunity because what that can mean to somebody in their life and their career is immeasurable. That's, uh, that's the deep end. Um, well, remember, and I, uh, uh, Kimberly's heard this so many times. I end, I ended my speech at Morgan Stanley on Monday with this, uh, people will forget what you say. People will get what you do. People never forget how you make a bill. Mm-hmm. And that is applicable in so many times. So getting the ball, quote unquote, put in my hand, made me feel good, gave me that confidence that, you know, you can be somebody. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm just, I, I, I look, what, what, it, I, I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't been, uh, you know, the starting quarterback freshman year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, who knows what would have happened, but that was just one thing that was the uh, precedent to being doing some of these other things. Because look, when I became a freshman quarterback, I mean, you know, the quarterback walks around the hall, you're, you're a popular guy, you know? So yeah, yeah, it, it helps on so many ways. Well, so another thing I want, I want to, I wanted to make sure that I put a pin in here was that you talking about the confidence to the line of arrogance. And one of the things that I've realized a few years ago is that that balance of confidence and humility is the sweet spot. Right. Like confident enough that you can handle it, but humble enough that know that you can't do it alone and that it takes a a team to do that. And that's one of the reasons I was so excited to have this conversation with you, because every time that, you know, our interactions and what I see you doing, like you have that you have that balance. And I wanted to like, tell me about how you got there. Like, tell me about how this was instilled in you. I haven't I haven't haven't always been successful in it, even though I think I tried. And I have another theory that I talk about is going from being a pet to threat. And for mm-hmm. all of you listeners out there that are in the corporate world or in any any organization, I think this is important. And uh, uh, a former CHRO at uh, JLL kind of, uh, you know, I marketed uh, this from her and I told her I'd always let her let people know that I got it from her. But this is the process. When you start in an organization, particularly as a, as a woman, I'll say anybody that's different, okay? And particularly for me as the black male, you come in because, you know, my credentials on paper, you know, they look pretty good, right? So maybe somebody would want to be associated with it. And you come in and say, oh, we've got one and I'm going to help them make it. So you're my pet. And I'm going to just help you get along. And then what happens, and this was particularly true in my career at JLL, I'm the pet and I made managing director in four years. (laughs) Okay. 
which was wow. very, very, very quick. I was a little older, but I had those experiences in the Army, Harvard MBA, hard worker, a little luck along the way. Wasn't all me, some luck as well. But then as you go up, all of a sudden, the individuals that were your pet, you were their pet and they wanted to help you, all of a sudden, you're what? You're a threat. Mm -hmm. And either, I think it's more subconsciously than anybody consciously doing anything to say, I'm going to, you know, talk, uh, turn over your wagon. But that's something that people need to be aware of. As you go up the ladder, you are going to be more of a threat to people. Mm. And when you become a threat to people, this whole thing I talked about connecting and you want people. Now, now again, the connecting doesn't mean that you, uh, you know, kiss up to somebody and you're not your authentic self. You've got to have your values, your vision and your goals that you're going after. You have to be consistent with those. However, in the process of that, as you go up the ladder and other people kind of see you go by, some are going to be very, very happy for you. And some subconsciously or even consciously are going to be all of a sudden, what does that confidence become? It becomes arrogance. Mm. Okay. And I, I've experienced that in my career and I learned how to, you know, shake and bake to do it. And uh, fortunately I'm in a position now, particularly on all the boards that I set on that I can talk about those things about executives in the boardroom mm -hmm. and raise that question up because it's a personal experience that I've had. And, and uh, you know, it, it's just good to be able to part with that knowledge to others. And they go, hmm, I never thought about that. Have, have in, in your experience, from what you said about your, your upbringing with your, with your mother, and then, you know, in high school with the coaches, and then in West Point, and then, you know, I want to, I want to dive more into your professional career as well. But has there been any uh, consistent themes that are just reinforced, like something that your your mother said or did. Uh, I know there there are plenty of examples, I'm sure. But yeah. then you go to West Point and you're like, oh, yep, there it is. Like, I'm glad I was prepared for that. And then that theme continued. Was there anything specific that you could think of? Well, you know, this is a good point for me to talk about. Uh, I talk about six attributes for success. Okay. And I'm going to go through them very mm. quickly. Interpersonal skills. And that really means being a continuous learner. So that you're comfortable in any environment, you should be comfortable talking to the janitor, you should be comfortable talking to the CEO, you should be comfortable talking to the general, as well as the private. Okay, so mm -hmm. those interpersonal skills, not personality dependent, but really knowledge based. Okay, uh, the next one uh, is um, analytical skills, right? And we should all get feedback from people that we are around, both above, beside and above us, uh, below us at least. And that's that ability to be a good judge of and make good decisions, analytics, you know, quantitative as well as qualitative, which, by the way, the higher you get in an organization, being able to do a spreadsheet, it's important that you understand the outputs, but you're going to be doing more qualitative judgments. Um, sure. What about this person? Who should get this position? Which market should we go to? Should I go to Dallas first or San Francisco and why? So those qualitative things. The next one is uh, risk-taking or entrepreneurship, okay? Tell people all the time, you can go right down the middle and you can be in that 68% and that's great. However, what color is your parachute? In order to be kind of more than just average, you got to take risks at times. And we don't take risks. I've jumped out of airplanes. You don't jump out of an airplane without a parachute, okay? So the issue is 
take risks that are uh, can be mitigated and have your mitigating factor, but don't be afraid to take the risk. And I'll talk about some of the things I've done later. Mm. Then uh, leadership. Leadership is just critical. And I define leadership as the ability to help a group to accomplish a common goal. So you got to articulate it. You got to put a vision for it. And you got to motivate people to go and get it and work with you to get it. So that's critical. And I'm saving the one from my mom for last. But I normally end with passion because all of those things encompass passion. And when you've got passion, people are attracted to you. People are happy to be around and you just bring a certain bit of light to the situation. And the one that you talked about and my mom is communication skills. Okay. And that comes in three forms primarily when you speak. And all of us, and I tell you, I, you don't know how many times in my life I've spoken to people on the phone and I go meet them. I'll never forget one time in New York City and the assistant looked up. She said, oh, I didn't know you were. And I said, oh, <laughs> so, so so tall and handsome. You know, I just said it like that. And she just turned red because it was like she didn't based on my dialect or what I she she didn't know I was black. So your your, your speaking ability. And particularly for those young listeners out there, I know we do a lot of uh, BYOB and BFF and all that good stuff. Learn how to write, okay? It's critical. And of course, we've Mm. got APT now to do some of it for us, but writing. And this is the one Dustin from my mom. She said, you have two ears and one mouth. Think about using them in that proportion. Yeah. Use them accordingly. Yeah. (laughs) And so... These these things, and you mentioned before about um, not having the vernacular for, for some of these things earlier on, but you feel like for the most part, these six, you boiled down as, as things that have constant themes are the keys to success. Yes. The foundation of success. And it, it, having the willingness to listen, and even to this day, I know that I have blind spots. You have to be honest enough with yourself to know that there are things that you don't know that you don't know. There's always that possibility. And this is where that idea of the confidence comes in. However, you just can't always bulldoze through and say, I know everything. And that ability to to, to listen. That ability, you asked me earlier about how I do so many things, that ability to delegate and trust people. But now that uh, uh, analytical skill comes through, who do I trust? Hmm. And why do I trust them? You've got to make all those things. So you get all that together and you know, you got a pot that uh, with those attributes I told you about, I think that can lead to success. So those are the things that, uh, that I, and again, Justin, it, it, it's not like I graduated from high school and I knew all this stuff I'm telling you. It, do, it doesn't happen like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a process, okay? And as I've gone back and I spent time, you know, thinking about it, particularly the networking versus connecting. And over the years, I've been asked that question and I sat down and said, you know, how can I think about what attributes? And a lot of this started, uh, particularly for those attributes. When uh, I was fortunate enough as a lieutenant after my first year graduating from West Point 
I was selected to go back to work in the admissions office at West Point. And in doing that for a year, I would talk to from an audience of one to an audience of 2,000 to doing TV, radio interviews. And with that, I had to have a message. And one thing about communication, the first thing you do, and some people don't do this all the time, you got to know who your audience is. Sure. You've got a focus audience. That's one thing. You've got an audience with different people. That's one thing. And then your message has to be tempered so that you get maximum feedback from the majority of the audience. And that's, that, that's something else I learned doing that year of doing that. Cause look, I've got kids I'm talking to one-on-one. I got kids and counselors and teachers I'm talking to one-on-one and as a group. And then you got the parents and then you got the community. Because part of what I was doing was branding West Point uh, to the nation and to the community. When when you talk about um, the decision, especially as you're coming out of college and you're going into into the, the you know the early stages in your career, were you um, were you engin- engineering in college? Yep. Okay, yep. so when- engineering at West Point with a concentration mm-hmm. in in economics. In economics, okay. Right. So but I that- had to be. The majority, I had seven electives, <laughs> four years. <laughs> yeah, okay. of course you did. <laughs> uh, okay, so you're making these decisions, right? And, and you're 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 deciding like what what you want to focus and where you want to go, and you're already having these principles and your foundation, and they're kind of coming into form. You're realizing them. Was was that transition, and you know, the military and business school. What was that like mentally and, and trying to carve out your path? Did it start to become clear? Did you have the vision uh, well, of exactly well, what you wanted to do? Or was it just like a general direction? So when I left high school for college, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Mm. And the reason for that is I saw Perry Mason and he always won. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was That's a courtroom. And, and, and I didn't even know what, I had no idea what, what, corporate law meant all i knew a lawyer you know people got arrested they went to jail and you you defend them that that was my concept of it however when i got to west point in my sophomore year i took economics and for some reason i thought economics was business i mean i was just i just ate it up and that professor had gone to harvard business school then i took international economics i took uh, financial accounting and like four out of the like six or seven instructors I had had their MBAs from Harvard Business School. And these guys were like, and they were all guys, unfortunately. And I, I was like, you know, they had they had been in Vietnam. So this is at the end of Vietnam War. And they would come back. I was just so enthralled with these guys are just so impressive. And I said right then, I want to go to Harvard Business School. And that was the kind of impetus for that because I, I like this business thing and, and these guys are so impressive. And what I did, I've always been a planner. So when I told you I played football for two years and when I stopped playing football, I became the voice of Army Sports. And that's where I met Coach K. And a quick little quick story on Coach K. Um, I had a radio show. I've always been kind of an entrepreneur doing things different. You know, I was a DJ and I did some sports. I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to put a radio show on. I said, what do you want to do? I said, we're going to call it Thursday Night Live after Saturday Night Live. And that show 
basically would have uh, cadet uh, athletes primarily on it. And we would talk about, you know, the weekend army sports and these types of things. And little did I know, uh, you know, we get this coach that I can't even pronounce his name. And he calls me up and says, hey, uh, can I be on your show? And I'm like, sure. And so Coach K is on the show. And then I also ended up doing play-by-play for basketball for the last two years. So I traveled mm. with the team as well. So that was where Coach K, and to this day, I'm on the board of the Center of Leadership and Ethics, uh, the Coach K Center of Leadership and Ethics at Duke, where, by the way, two of my uh, sons who went to West Point went to grad school there at, at Fuqua. Very and cool. uh, he he and I, uh, I'm going to talk about something in a little while that uh, Kimberly's been helping me with. Um, I was selected this year to be inducted into the Alabama Business Hall of Fame. And one of my recommendation letters was written by Coach K. <laughs> wow. Well, congratulations. Another, That's another fantastic. One by, uh, uh, Lloyd Austin, who's the uh, Secretary of Defense. And I'm really proud that I'm actually a member of the Defense Policy Board, which is the civilian group. There are about 18 of us that advise the Secretary of Defense on our defense policy and posture. Uh, the, the former head of that group, um, uh, I'm having a um, I'm having a senior moment here, but anyway, the the, the group Henry Kissinger is on. <laughs> Yes, okay. Madeline, Albright, Madeline Albright was chair until she passed away. John oh. Ashcroft, who was former defense secretary. We got generals, admirals, ambassadors. Uh, John Huntsman is, is, is a member on it. So these are those times. And I just had a meeting two weeks ago. I mean, we're in the Pentagon. We get the most highly, you know, technical and classified briefings on what's going on in the world. And we process information. We give the defense secretary time back. So. I, I know I'm getting a little off subject here, but it still got to that point of uh, having the opportunity to do so many things and be with so many people uh, is, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a zenith for me at this point in my career. Your decision making process, because I'm sure you, you, have a, you have a ton of opportunity. And I mean, we could talk about that now, but as you as you progressed in in your life and your career, when when you're presented with something, whether to be on on a on a board or to you know what, what the variety of things that you have available to you, what is generally your process for making decisions, big or yeah, small? It, it, or... The, the board one is really a good one because I get um, uh, I, I I've served on seven public boards, currently serve on three, plus USAA, which is not public, but it's a Fortune 100 company, and mm-hmm. So probably in the last two weeks, between private and public nonprofit boards, I've had two two inquiries, okay? And what I generally do, particularly for the board opportunities, the first thing I do is, does this organization, whether a private company or not-for-profit or whatever, represent what I see as a brand that I want to be associated with? Okay. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, is this something that I can really get jazzed and get behind? You know, can I get motivated to get behind this? Okay. Then the third thing, if those two gates are passed, you know, who are the people that I am going to be interacting with? Remember, I'm going to be consistent. I talked about continuous learning earlier. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. We need to do that every day. And I'm looking to be a continuous learner every day. And then if, if that passes, then it really comes down to what are your meeting dates? Because boards kind of have dates that meet kind of the same day every year, every quarter. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, then I, I had one board, one board probably three weeks ago that I would have considered doing, uh, but the, there were conflicts with other obligations I had for those board days. Sure. So it comes down to, uh, in summary, you know, kind of the, the organization and its mission, the people that you're associated with, and can you continue to be a continuous learner with them? And then the good old thing called the schedule. Yeah. Well, it's a, and I feel like over the years, you must have a pretty good feel of what feels right. And you said, can I get jazzed about this? Is this something that I'm going to get energy from? And, and we talked about before, um, the passion. Right. As, as one of your six fundamentals, you're going to have passion for that. And the people are you working with, do they have passion for it too? Or are those things going to align? Well, you know, it's interesting you say that. So, so the board, um, I'm chairman of the board of a company called Fluence Energy. Mm -hmm. Fluence is a joint venture between AES, which is a Fortune 100 utility, and Siemens, which is the big uh, German conglomerate. And they had asked me to consider being on their board uh, when my wife was still living. Um, my wife had cancer. So, you know, we knew it was, uh, it, it was a, unfortunately pancreatic cancer, which is uh, very, very deadly. And I, I told them, I said, Hey, I can't, I can't, you know, think about this now. You know, I was, the primary, I was her, her caregiver and that's where my focus was going. And when my wife passed, uh, they called one at a time. I said, yeah, okay. I'm interested. I'll talk to you. Then when I went in to talk to him, Dustin, they said, um, we not only want you to be on the board, we want you to be chair of the board. This is a company that we're about oh. to raise a billion dollars on the NASDAQ, go public and do things. So we're in the battery energy storage space. Okay. So mm -hmm. we basically take renewable energies, put them in batteries, and this is on industrial scale. So we could help the utility continue to operate for four to five hours, you know, in, in this, uh, and, and by the way, so I looked at that. You talked about how do you make those decisions? Uh, and I tell him, I said, you know, you want me to try? I don't know anything about energy. And, and the response was, uh, <laughs> we have people on the board that are experts in energy. And this is a, I think this is a lesson for everybody. We're interested in you for your leadership skills. Wow. Okay. To herd the cats, so to speak. And uh, so next month I'll be coming up on my, Second year as chair of this company. Uh, again, we raised a billion dollars. Obviously, had to get through everything with COVID. Uh, the technology is continuing to change. It's an international company. I've got a board that's of international uh, people. Uh, we've had to make some tough decisions that, uh, you know, it, the buck stops. Uh, you know, and I'm accustomed to being on a board. And you look up on the board and you at least get your chairman there, you know, and everybody is kind of accustomed to kind of having a boss. And certainly my boss in this situation are the two major investors and oh, just does to say the shareholders, mm -hmm. but, uh, that old saying that it's lonely at the top. I mean, there's some truth to that. You, 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 you build upon mm -hmm. all of your experiences and you have to make sure good decisions are made. And that doesn't mean you make all the decisions, but you have to use your wisdom and you may have an idea how things are supposed to go, but I don't start the meeting by saying, hey, this is what ought to happen. It's just the opposite. You want to get that feedback 
from the team. And let me tell you, as a chairman, you get rated by the people that you supervise every year. Okay. So that's another thing. And it's a good tempering process to say, how are you helping us achieve the mission, value, and goals that we put out? So, well, that, that's, that's, you know, that's commendable and reassuring to hear you speak in the manner that you, about your responsibility. Um, I think in many cases, it's not uncommon that, you know, people see the disconnect between, you know, what's happening on the ground and the people at the, at the top. And a couple of things that you said, you know, track well with this, like about turning the pyramid upside down and the responsibility and you, you having that knowledge and wisdom to say, no, these are, these are heavy decisions. I need to like really think about this in a holistic and rely upon the experts in there. And I think that is why exactly what you said about leadership. Like, yeah, we, we have people that know about the energy. We have people that know about this, but you want people in a position of authority that are going to be thoughtful and take into account all those experiences to, to make those decisions. I'm fortunate. Yeah. When you, something that I can't believe we haven't even touched on there. When, when, so when did you get into commercial real estate? <laughs> we talked about everything. Yeah, we talked about everything. So, so, so the next thing I, I remember one answer I was going to give, <laughs> graduated from West Point, I told you I wanted to get an MBA. Okay. And Harvard was my, mm-hmm. I thought I my choice. Two years out of West Point, what I did is I applied to Yale and got accepted. And then I, my wife and I, we were married, we were going to Korea and I said, okay, I just want to have options. I learned later at Harvard, options are worth money. Everything, the option is the value. So I said, okay, um, I'm going to apply to Harvard and Stanford. And I applied to both of them and got accepted. And what I did for Yale, I said, I need a, a, a two-year deferment. And I told Harvard and Stanford, I needed a year deferment. And we went to Korea, we came back because I was making a decision if I were going to stay in the army or get out because we, in the end, we made the decision to stay in the army because when all my colleagues were eating pork and beans, I was actually in the army and getting paid to go to grad school and the army paid for grad school in preparation mm-hmm. to go back to teach at West Point. And very fortunate, my wife, while I was at Harvard, she was at Tufts, also being funded by the army. And then we went back to West Point where I uh, taught and she was an admissions officer. And two of our, I think, I think sorry, before we went on the air, two of our three sons were actually born while we were at West Point. So wow. how did the real estate game come around? So when I met Harvard, surprise, surprise, I'm my section president. So I'm in student government. <laughs> and I got to tell you, at the middle of the uh, second year, when they get the classes ready for the following year, they found out they were only going to have one section of real estate. I'm going to tell you, only thing I knew about real estate that you buy a house and there's this thing called a realtor, right? I, mean, yeah. I hadn't even thought about how these big, beautiful buildings get uh, uh, or produced. And as part of the student government, I was on the task force that was negotiating with the administration to getting another real estate section. And we, long story short, we got the other real estate section and I'm sitting there, I'm saying, why are all these kids that have this background from, you know, McKinsey, Goldman Sachs, whatever, and they want to take this real estate course? What is this all about? 
and of course, the tax rules back then were such that, you know, everybody had a little extra money. You put it in real estate because of depreciation rules, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I said, where there's smoke, there's fire. So I took the real estate course and a gentleman named Don Brown, who was uh, one of the principals at JBG, which was a big real estate company here in Washington, D.C. I never forget when he first came to campus. You go to the Harvard environment. It can be, you know, you're like, this is Harvard. And, and I called him up and said, hey, let's go to dinner. And I took him to dinner and it was almost like a reverse mentoring. You know, it was like I was the, yeah. the professor, whatever. I say, look, I, I, I think I know how you might be feeling. Let me tell you, you know, you're going to be fine and we're going to blah, 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 blah. And I took his class and I loved the course. I just loved it. And then when I went to West Point to teach, a group of us who were on faculty, one guy that was off faculty, we put a, uh, a limited partnership together and bought a piece of land for $750,000, I'll never forget. And it was friends and family and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, uh, the 1987 market crash came <laughs> and that didn't go anywhere. But however, yeah. one of the things in terms of relationships, uh, me and my partners, we funded this thing for an additional two years, hoping that something would break through. So that didn't happen. I left West Point. I went to the Pentagon and I got in the Pentagon. I was a captain promotable. And I just looked around and said, I just, I don't know if this is what I want to do long term. So hmm. I went in and told the guy that I was working for, who, by the way, show you how serendipity works, who was the chief financial officer of the army in essence. And I worked for him and he later ended up being CEO of USAA. And do you know one board that I'm vice chairman of right now? matter. So anyway, so I made that decision and everybody coming from Harvard, you know, you, what are you going to do? Consulting, real estate or investment banking. And I looked at all three of them. I'm living here in Washington and investment banking. You got to go to New York because there's nothing here, but government relations and consulting. It came down between McKinsey and this little firm called LaSalle Partners. And Mm. I'll never forget Mm -hmm. going to my interview with uh, Stuart Scott, who was our chairman at the time. And, and, and I, I, you know, diversity wasn't as big of a thing then, but I told him I'm in this wood panel office and uh, they're on 10 South LaSalle street. And he's going through everything. And I said, um, you know, I haven't spoken to anybody black through my entire uh, interview process. And he's, uh, Stuart's about six, six. He, well, uh, Oh, oh, that's why we're talking to you. <laughs> that was his answer. Oh man! Oh, and yeah. uh, and 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 long story short, there were thirteen partners. Okay, and I was interviewing to be in the development group, and this one we were a partnership. I interviewed with eleven partners. Okay, you can say, "Oh my gosh, you're the black kid, and they want to make sure you're okay." That was probably true, but mm. I took that lemon and I made lemonade. Because Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, we only had like 300 people in the firm. And this guy named Herman Bulls in Washington, D.C., 11 of the 13 partners had interviewed me. And I had a project that had some problems. I got through that. And, you know, and then the halo effect, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that's how I was able to make manager director in in four years. So the real estate came from uh, what ended up being a failed in the course at Harvard the failed investment, and then me deciding, uh, by the way, the reason it came down to McKinsey and LaSalle, I said, McKinsey, I'm going to be traveling too much. I'll leave on Monday and leave. Well, 
um, global services on United. So real estate requires a lot of travel as well. Yeah. It, but, but, but it, it, it's been great. I wouldn't change a thing. Wow. I, and you know what? I feel like all the things that we talked about before, and that's why I love having these conversations where it tracks like the confidence that you had and then the obstacles that you come across, you have the tools to either get through them, get over them or get around them. And everything that you said about communication skills, leadership, collaboration, um, all those things come in, come in handy when you do have those, those challenges that you come across. That's fantastic. You know, one, one of the things, and now we're, we're running short on time here. So I want to make sure that, you know, we, we give you an opportunity to, to share anything else, but I wanted to say part of why I really enjoy having this show is when I talk to people and get to hear the stories about all the little things and that give context, right. And the challenges that, that you have faced and the things that you've done and your, your radio show that you did at West point and all of those things, it helps create a, a, a a picture of who you are as, as a person and gives more context. Cause sometimes, you know, you see this beacon at, like on the Hill and like, Oh, you're, you're, you're this, you know, I can't, I can't get there. And, and some of the listeners I know that are early in their career, I, I'm so thankful to be able to highlight you and the things that you've done to show people that, you know, there's, it's a journey, it's a journey. And you, and you learn these skills, these, these tools, you use your talents and you find techniques to to get where you where you want to go and can make a make a huge impact. So um you know I I know you get plenty of awards and plenty of accolades, but I want to say thank you for for agreeing to to be on the show and share your story because it does mean a lot to to our listeners, but it means a lot to me as well. So thank you. Well Dustin I look I want to uh uh thank you and congratulate you for going out and doing this. And and I'm going to tell you, I, I've been interviewed by quite a few people and uh, you've got some skill here. So you've got a, a great way of doing things. I want to thank you for what you're doing. And uh, it, it, it it's really an honor for me and on behalf of my colleagues at JLL and uh, the boards that I set on. And then more importantly of all, my family, we talked about Iris who, uh, I miss dearly. There's no doubt about it. And I've got three sons, Herman Jr. Uh, he also went to West Point. I said earlier, he went to Duke. He's a Lieutenant Colonel in the Army now, working out wow. at the Army Enterprise Marketing Office. And uh, his biggest claim to fame is he's the father of my three grandchildren, uh, Connor, Quinn, and Kennedy. And uh, of course, his wife, Jen, we're so happy to have her in the family. Then Nathaniel, my middle son, uh, who's probably one of the better athletes. And if he'd been about four feet, uh, four, four inches taller, I mean, he, he looks like, uh, you know, the muscle man. Now he works out very well, but he went to Earlham college and, uh, he's in the uh, finance industry works for American express down in, uh, North Palm beach, Florida. And of course, Jonathan, uh, who was the youngest and sort of like me, maybe he got roughed around and everything. And he was the best athlete in the family. He can find yeah. me in golf consistently. And that only happened like up to about four years ago, but uh, uh, he, he again played football at West Point and also went to Duke and uh, is now working for Microsoft out in Dallas in sales. And he and his wife, Brittany, uh, the best gift they're going to give me in the new year is we're going to get grandchild number four. So oh. we're, we're, we're waiting to see that. So look, it, it, what we do, if we have a purpose, and for me, the family 
is so important. And yeah. uh, that ability, I mean, I, to this day, when I get a call from them, you know, I take it unless I'm really doing something that can't be, and they know I'm going to get back to them. And, and, you know, I talked about the signaling when I was selected as quarterback. I think that signaling as a parent is very, mm-hmm. let your kids know, despite the uh, fortuitous success I had in my career, you know, they know that I'm there for them. And and this is a good opportunity to do another shout out uh, for an organization that your listeners should be aware of called the Executive Leadership Council. And this is mm-hmm. a group of, uh, when I joined, it was probably the top 150 African-American executives in America. Now it's the top 800. And uh, that organization, we're going to have our big gala here in Washington, D.C. next week. And I can't tell you how important that organization has been for me. Number one, in terms of, uh, you know, going through the corporate process, uh, taking um, the the process of uh, how do you manage your life with some amount of wealth, you know, and what's the difference and who do you talk to about it? And just having friends and knowing that within probably two phone calls, I can get to any CEO in America. Yeah, well, through, through, through that group and those friends. So uh, those relationships, and it's going to come back. We started with it. I'm going to end with it. The relationships are just uh, so critical. And I, I tell you, sometimes I told you, uh, probably the last time I pinched myself is uh, when I was in defense uh, policy board meeting, sitting here with all these luminaries. And, you know, for a second you go, you know, am I supposed to be here? And then you get back. Yeah, I'm supposed to be here. And yeah. then you make a, a contribution that is appropriate. So I want your listeners to know that there is no secret bullet uh, to it, and they should not feel that they can't go out and do these things. I have fears. I have failures. I have all of these things that everybody else <laughs> listening to this has. But it's not about falling down and failing. It's about getting up. On that, Herman, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. And congratulations again on all your personal and professional success. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if you did find value in the episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform. Also, leave a review and share with your network. We have an amazing lineup in the coming weeks and months, some of the most impressive leaders and some of the heaviest hitters in business, all of which whom I consider making a positive impact in the world. So stay tuned for more exciting episodes and special features coming up. We appreciate your ongoing support and we look forward to welcoming you back next time on tools, talents, and techniques. Thank you.